Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Drew Manning is back on the podcast today. Fit to fat to fit. He is a New York Times bestselling author of Complete Keto and also the book Fit to Fat to Fit, was, which was a really interesting journey, which I'll let him describe to you if you aren't aware of it because it was a really fascinating experiment that he did. Drew has been seen on shows like The View, Dr. Oz, Good Morning America, and more. Welcome back to the show. Elle, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me back on. Oh man, one of my faves. So <laughs> let's, uh, well, let me start with this. For the people that don't know you and haven't listened mm-hmm. to previous episodes, tell us about what this fit to fat to fit experiment that you did many years ago was. Essentially, it's you were a trainer that was fit and you didn't know what it was like to be fat and you, your, your clients were like, dude, you don't get it. Tell us what you did. <laughs> Yeah, so that's kind of it in a nutshell. Most people know me as the Fit to Fat to Fit guy, which is funny because some people don't even know my name, Drew. They're just like, oh, you're the Fit to Fat to Fit guy. And I'm totally fine with that. So back in 2011, I had this crazy idea that entered my mind that said, you know, uh, you know, what if you got overweight on purpose? Would that give you a better understanding? And I know that sounds crazy and ridiculous, but you got to understand from my perspective, I had never been overweight a day in my life. I grew up playing football and wrestling. So I was always in shape. And for me, it was easy. You just do the work. You put down the junk food. And it's not that hard. And I couldn't understand why it was so hard for my clients. Like they would struggle and I would get frustrated with them. And I would be like, you guys, why are you struggling to, you know, put down the junk food and go to the gym? Like it's easy for me. Why isn't it easy for you? So anyways, they told me, like you said, you don't really understand, Drew, what it's like to be overweight. You know, for you, it's always been easy. But for me and for us, it's hard. And I took that to heart that, that time when I, uh, my ex-brother-in-law told me that. And I, I was like, well you know, what can I do? And this, like I said, this idea entered my mind and it was like a light bulb went off. I'm like, oh my gosh, what if I actually do this? It felt like it was a calling for me at the time. And so I decided to embark on this journey where for six months I stopped exercising, which was really hard for me because I was obsessed. I stopped exercising, ate a standard American diet, which we can get into what those foods were, but I gained 75 pounds in six months. It was the most humbling and one of the hardest things I've ever been through in my entire life. I learned so many valuable lessons especially on the mental and emotional side of transformation, which I didn't know anything about. I'm like, you guys, it's just easy. Just eat less and work out. Like, why are you struggling? <laughs> Until I did this experiment. So you had to and then, yeah, then my eyes were open. I'm like, oh my gosh, I had no idea how powerful the emotional connection to food really is. And uh, the concept of emotional eating, I just thought p- people just lacked willpower and discipline to do it. And so for me, going through that experience and humbling myself and having empathy for those that struggle it was really where I started to create my brand and that's how I differentiated myself from, you know, the other thousands of trainers out there was by doing fit, fit, fit. Now, luckily I, I got back to fit and like I said, I was humbled, wrote a book, um, had a couple of seasons of a TV show and, and then here we are today. So that's me in a nutshell. Let, let me ask you about this. Uh, so now uh, on some of those shows that I watched, uh, give us a rundown of the blood markers and the, the horrific things that happened after like, because you were on Dr. Oz and they're like, this is not good. So tell us about some of the blood markers and what went from what to what, you know, into like just to show like how sure. bad that was for your system. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of numbers that I remember off the top of my head were my blood pressure, which was 167 over 113 at my highest. And uh, that was not good. My testosterone dropped to the low 200s as a 31 year old male, which is not good. 
Um, and that's another thing people don't realize is how food affects your hormone levels, right? We think, uh, oh, we if gotta, I- We got to stop there. That is really important <laughs> that you said that, that your testosterone yeah. dropped because fat around the middle, you know, and insulin resistance will absolutely counteract the testosterone because it'll raise your estrogen. I am so not surprised that at a young age, that that is usually often the cause of low testosterone among males. It is. And it's important for people to see the correlation between diet and lifestyle with hormonal changes. A lot of people think, oh, it's- um, you know, it's just my age or just my genetics, or they don't look at the, the root cause, which is the food, the, the diet, you know, that we're eating and the lifestyle that we're living as well and how it affects hormone levels. And I think it's really important for people to see that correlation to, because people look at food as, oh, this will make me gain weight or this will make me lose weight. When in reality is doing so much more on the insides of our body. Um, I don't remember the other numbers off the top of my head, but I do know everything was in the red. I did develop a non-alcoholic fatty liver uh, during this journey. I did not drink alcohol. I drank a lot of Mountain Dew though. And the type of damage it does is very similar to alcohol. And so that was really eye-opening for me and for a lot of my followers, uh, which was really scary um, to think about because people in my culture, you know, in the culture I grew up in, which is very rel- religious, they're like, no, alcohol is bad, but you can drink all the soda you want to. <laughs> and look at the damage that it does. So you think you're being healthier by not drinking alcohol. When in reality, you're doing you know, just as bad of damage, if not worse, by drinking these other sugary drinks. Yeah, what, what a fascinating experiment. Mm-hmm. And I, I challenge everyone to go look at the before and after pictures of Drew and through this experiment was really interesting. So then leading into recently, you did something was very interesting, um, which was you did one, you ran 100 miles in 24 hours. hours. Yes. Okay. <laughs> What what's wrong with you, man? What, 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 do we need an intervention? No, seriously. Why? What, what was that about? Why did you decide to do that? Because I know sure. you're already an athlete, but you know. For sure. So this this idea came about last year, actually, when I uh, just got done reading David Goggins' book, "Can't Hurt Me." And most people have heard have heard of this guy, or if you haven't, go read his book, listen to it on Audible. It'll change your perspective on what you think hard is. So for me, um, after reading the book, me and my brother were motivated. And he said, hey, would you want to run 100 miles with me? I'm like, dude, I've never run a marathon or a half marathon. I'm not a runner. Like, that's not who I am. And I I had these self-limiting beliefs of like, oh, that's not for me. I can work out and do CrossFit and, and run a little bit. But 100 miles, that's for those like crazy ultra endurance athletes. Like I can't do that. So anyways, I decided to, you know, to test it out. And last year I experimented where for about six weeks, I trained really hard thinking that was enough time to <laughs> get in shape for this. What happened was I, I failed at the hundred miles, but I achieved 80 miles in 24 hours. And I was like, man, even though I didn't get there, what, like, even though I didn't get there and I was a little bit disappointed, I was still pretty proud of myself for going 80 miles in 24 hours. It, it blew past those, those limiting beliefs that I believed my whole life of like, I didn't think I could run 80 miles in 24 hours, but I did. What could I do if I actually trained for this? So this year I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this because I feel like I want to prove to myself and other people that we can do hard things outside of those self-limiting beliefs. And so for me, I wanted to train properly this time, uh, brought on the help of people like Zach Bitter, who you know, who's a, the world record holder in the 100 miler and he's a, a, a keto athlete and a few other people that are in this industry that really helped me uh, train this time around smarter and, and gave myself a little bit more time. So seven months of training this year, it got pushed back because of COVID and I was supposed to do it out in California. So I ended up having to do it last kind of last minute here in Utah, just because I was like, it's going to get hotter in the summer. I just got to get it done. So June 11th was the day I did it. And I 
I freaking did it. I can say I ran 100 miles in under 24 hours, and I'm not a runner. And I wanted to prove to myself and other people that we can do these hard things. It, it doesn't mean you have to go run 100 miles. But for some people, it might be a 5K or a 10K or, or whatever. There's all these things out there that we think, oh, you know, it's not for me. Like, I can't do that. That's, that's for those people. You know, like, I can't do those things. But why can't you? Why can't you? And a lot of it has to do with how we limit ourselves up here because we're afraid to get out of our comfort zone. And so that's kind of why I did it. But yeah, well, uh, there's a quote, life begins at the end of your comfort zone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, or death if you do it wrong and don't train. So, but tell me this though, because I would look at that and go, and we watched that journey. It was really fun. You know, I know you had your girlfriend along cheering you on and helping, you know, you were checking in and we were all like, oh, dude, get what, just five more miles, brother. But, but the thing is, is, uh, isn't that a little bit unhealthy or dangerous or an unnecessary stress on your body? It's one thing to do like a hormetic response, but a hundred miles in 24 hours. I mean, I guess you are fit and efficient enough as a human being where that obviously, you know, nobody should not train for that. Clearly I'm not saying you're not saying that. And you're probably saying, Hey, look, no one should do hundred miles in 24 hours unless you're training that way. But Hey, maybe that 5k and I get that, but weren't you a little bit concerned about any potential negative ramifications? What was considered before you did it? What did you do after to recover? Yeah, 100%. Uh, I do believe it's very unhealthy. <laughs> but you're asking someone who gained 75 pounds in six months and then lost it. So. <laughs> I know. I'm like, why are you, you know? doing this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you ask someone like Mark Sisson and all the you know Ironmans that he did and, and all these crazy extreme um, competitions that us humans put ourselves through. It's like, why do we need to do that? We don't need to do that. We'll never know our limit as human beings unless we push that, right? It's like, okay, this isn't healthy, but, you know, we need to know if, if, if humans can achieve these remarkable things, you know? And so for me, that's, it's not like I'm going to do this, you know, every year or like I'm addicted now. I can't stop doing it. It's like, no, I, I'm good <laughs> once in a I lifetime. I would call thing. a worldwide intervention. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stop running a hundred miles. No, I know, I know that it's not healthy. And so that's why I want to show people, like, it doesn't have to be that it's just, it's more for the mental benefits than it is physical. Like physically, I got freaking skinny and I, you know, I looked more like a runner by the end of it, which I didn't want to, but I had to give up a lot of muscle mass. And since then, I've been trying to put some muscle mass back on. But speed, I'm assuming, is what you mean by that. Exactly. Speed, endurance, um, you know, muscle works against you in endurance races. <laughs> and so for me, I had to give up uh, probably about good 10 pounds of, of lean mass to, to accomplish this. But now that I did, it's like, okay, cool. And everything, this is what I learned. It's like everything we do is temporary. So if I'm trained for hundred miles, that's not how I'm going to be for the rest of my life. That's just like one phase of, of one small chapter of my life. And then now there's more chapters and other phases and, and who knows what's going to happen next. Um, there's all these other ideas that I have, but um, you know, I did train in a fat adaptive oh, state. I got this. some real messed up ideas for you. you <laughs> <laughs> really, like, hey, give it to Drew. He'll do it. That's going to be one of those. Like, yeah, now I got to be careful, you know, because people are like, oh, he's going to do all these crazy things. Um, I have my limits, of course. But, um, yeah, I did train in a keto adapted state. I learned from people like Zach Bitter and, and a friend of mine, Michael McKnight, who did a 100-mile run with no food. He ran off of his own fat stores and just drank water for for 19 hours. He did it in 19 hours. It's amazing. So I kind of, uh, uh, you know, tweaked my training this year, tweaked my well, nutrition. What, what did you do during the race? I mean, I understand, yeah, obviously you were probably, in a, you were still ketogenic-ish yep. before you started the 100 miler. Yep. Yep. I was uh, doing a cyclical keto diet. So I'd always train my longer days with, with no food, always fasted. And then leading up to the race, what I would do is, um, you know, I did have a uh, cycle on some healthy carbs, potatoes, sweet potatoes, fruits. 
uh, the night before. And then the day of the race, um, I kind of, uh, I had a unique strategy for, I was, I was attempting to go the first 50 miles with no food. The problem was that it was so hot that day. It was 95 degrees and no shade and it was sunny. Oh. So I lasted the first 20 miles with no food, just water and electrolytes. And at mile 20, I, the heat stroke symptoms started to kick in. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to finish if I don't have something. So I drank a ton of watermelon juice and had some watermelon. And I was like a new man. I was like, oh my gosh, this jolt of carbohydrates <laughs> running through my veins like gave me this energy. And so I would supplement with carbohydrates and ketones. And I use ketone esters uh, from Ketonaid. And I would sip on that, you know, every hour I would take a break, right? Jump in an ice bath, eat some carbohydrates, whatever it was. Cause this was what I learned from year one of doing it is I got so sick of the same, I think four different foods or five foods that it brought. I couldn't, it just tasted nasty. I couldn't eat anything. And so for me this time I brought like, and don't judge me, but I brought like pop tarts and I brought peanut butter sandwiches and I brought M&Ms and gummy bears whatever, and whatever it was going to take. Yeah. Whatever was going to take. Cause I knew that I was going to get sick of some food or texture, you know, by after eating it for 24 hours. So I would take a couple bites of like a peanut butter sandwich, uh, a, a sip of some ketone aid and then boom for the next hour that would last me for the next hour. Um, and that's kind of how I, I ice baths, the ice baths were about five minutes long, maybe less than that, maybe like two, three minutes. I would how, jump in. How often were you doing them? Once an hour for the from like about noon till six p.m. I was going to so, say that heat level is just an extra added incredible stress. In fact, it makes the feat of you doing the hundred miles in the twenty four hours way more impressive to me. Thank you, I appreciate that. And if I didn't have the ice bath, I think I probably would have tapped out because my brother tapped out. He got overheated and he had to tap out about mile forty five. And so for me, I was like, if I didn't have the ice bath, it definitely saves me. So every 60 minutes, I would jump in for a few minutes, cool off, put this uh, ice towel around my neck, and then have, like I said, any type, of, any type of glucose, whatever I could get in. And it was only a couple bites. Like, I couldn't handle more food than that. Like, I just, I felt, you know, very full and very nauseous if I ate too much. And so that's all I could handle. And that, But that's what got me through. And then, then I made it through the hottest part of the day. And then nighttime came. And I was like, all right, I just got to tell myself, get through the night. Once I get through the night, the morning will come, and then the morning was pretty much the end of the race. So I was ma- I was ahead of pace, and I knew that I could I could maintain that pace. I was feeling good. Um, I didn't have to sprint. You know, these are slow runs that that you're doing. You know, you're not running a six minute mile or seven minute mile uh, yeah, for me at least. Hundred mile jog, right? Kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for me at least. And so I was, I just had to maintain that pace, and that's what I did. The glucose with the ketones kind of helped me through throughout the, the entire race, and I finished in under 24 hours. And now. I'll probably never run again, but I can say that I did it, <laughs> you know, and that's the remarkable thing. And I think that's, that's the lesson to be learned here is like, you don't have to go run a hundred miles, but do something out of your comfort zone that you don't, they feel maybe might be impossible for you and give yourself time to have done that? train. What's that? How many other people have done what you've done? Uh, run a hundred miles in 24 hours. You know, it, it's all relative. There's probably thousands of people, but compared to the population, it's a very small percentage. You know, how many people have ran a marathon? you know, there's probably, you know, tens of thousands or millions of people more that have ran marathons, but not a lot of people have ran a hundred miles, you know? Yeah. And so for me, it's this, it's just uh, why, you know, shoot for the stars and you'll hit the moon and still be pretty happy about it. Right. So I shot for the stars in this situation got in, in, and got there, I think, but you know, like what I said, did you it do was afterwards. Did you, were you like, it was like the masseuse was on call. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, what did you do to prepare knowing that what this was going to do your body? What were some of the things immediately afterwards that you were like, okay, 
Yeah. I have to recover from. Well, that. the first thing I did was ice bath, and then I ha- I remember I had a donut, and <laughs> that was the first real like whole food I ate. Because here's the thing, I I tracked my calories I burned on my Whoop app, and I burned fourteen thousand calories in twenty four hours, and I consumed maybe uh, fifteen hundred at the most, you know, maybe two thousand if I round up. So I lost a lot of weight, a lot of water weight too. And so I had a donut, went home, showered, and then took a nap. I was going to go to a cryotherapy place right away, but I got home and I just crashed for about three hours. Went to a cryotherapy place here in Utah, did cryo, did IV therapy, compression boots. And then from there, I did compression boots probably three times a day for the next week. And within like five days, I was pretty back to normal. I was like walking normal finally. So that was, it was, was pretty good recovery this time. Tell uh, us in a nutshell, in layman's terms, sort of what the compression boots are for and what purpose they serve. Yeah. Uh, blood flow, um, circulation. Um, you know, for me, it, it kind of creates a, almost like a, it feels like a tourniquet, some of these compression boots in certain areas of your body. So the blood is restricted for a short period of time and then it's flushed through and it pushes that fresh blood to your extremities. In this case, my legs to help speed up recovery. You know, obviously blood flow is very important for, uh, for recovery in, in any area of the body, you know, when you're sore, when you're tired. And so for me, it was a game changer because it allowed me to be able to <laughs> walk to the bathroom, walk to the fridge, like, you know, without feeling like, you know, the, right afterwards, it was really hard to walk the bottoms of my feet. I could barely bend my knees. Um, and just cause I'd been standing up for so long the blood had just rushed to my legs for 24 hours straight. Like when was the last time you stood for 24 hours straight? I don't think, you know, as, as humans, we really don't do that. <laughs> so for me, it just, um, it, it made a huge difference uh, with the compression boots. And how did you feel? I mean, were you like kind of beat for a week? Was it three days later? You were like, I'm back to normal. What, when did you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm fully recovered. I feel normal now. Yeah. It, it, last year, last year, my recovery took more than a week and I was way more inflamed. My feet were swollen. My ankles were swollen. This year, there was minimal swelling, but I felt so much better right around day five. Day five, I was pretty good to go where I could walk normal. I was stretching uh, this time and foam rolling. And um, yeah, Did I was saying- Did you work out at all that week or were you no, like- yeah. No, I took a whole week off and then from there started- my journey of, of putting on some, some muscle mass, uh, lifting heavy again. Um, and you know, it's been like six weeks and I've probably put on a good 10 to 15 pounds. So never again on the hundred miles in 24 hours, but <laughs> uh, you're about to embark on another experiment, right? You want to tell yes. us what about unless we have any unless there's anything else you'd like to on the 100 mile run <laughs> no after the 100 mile run i needed some time off to just kind of uh you know what it felt so good to do like a 45 minute workout and be done for the day instead of like oh, all bet. right a four hour run today three hour run tomorrow like i'll take my 30 to, to 60 minute workouts of lifting with you know two to three minute breaks in between it felt awesome so where am i at now this is kind of actually l this is my first interview <laughs> publicly where I'm announcing this. Um, so back in 2011, when I did fit, fit, fit the first time I was 31 years old, my metabolism was different. My hormones were different. Um, you know, I was a different person. I was, I was in a different situation in my life. And I had this idea to do fit, fit, fit to gain a better understanding. Fast forward to today, December 27th of this year, 2020, I turned 40 years old. 
And a lot of us have these beliefs that once you're over 40, once you hit that age, things start to slow down. Your metabolism changes, your hormones change. It's harder to get fit. It's harder to lose weight. And I totally get that. And so for the past year, I've been thinking of, of this idea to revisit my fit to fat to fit journey as a 40 year old to hit that demographic and show them like, Hey, we can be fit over 40 and I'm going to show people how to do this and we can do this together. And so uh, that's the that's the first reason is, is the 40-year-old demographic and above. I want to uh, give them hope and uh, give them a, a light to say, hey, let's do this together. Like, I'm here with you. I'm going to gain the weight. And then come December 27th of 2020, after I turn 40, that first Monday of 2021, we're all going to um, do this journey back to fit together. And so that's the first reason. The second reason is I have a message I want to get across this time around. Back then, like I said, I didn't really know who I was. I didn't know what my message was. I didn't know what I was about. Now, after years of doing personal development, hitting rock bottom, learning these life lessons that I've learned over the past, you know, four, five, six, seven years, um, I have a clear message that I want to get across, and that is one of empathy. And empathy is something that is lacking in the fitness industry. People who are overweight feel judged. They feel like people label them as lazy or less than. Uh, because of their weight. And I feel like this journey of fit to fat to 40 is a vehicle to get my message of empathy across for those that struggle with weight loss and transformation. I want to be a voice for those that that feel misunderstood and say, hey, it's not as simple as you as people think out there. It's not as easy as just eating less and working out. Like we want to simplify it so much when in reality is so much more complex. And so um, I want to bring empathy to the fitness industry by this by doing this journey. And, um, and that's my main message. And I feel like at this time in 2020, there's a lot of division. Uh, there's a lot of hate and anger and fear and worry uh, that, that we see. And I feel like empathy is something that will bring us together. If we can learn to develop empathy for those that we disagree with or the, for those that we, um, uh, we can't see eye to eye with, I feel like empathy will be a game changer in this world in general. But specifically, the fitness industry is lacking that. And that's what I want to be a voice for doing my fit to fat to 40 journey. All right. I'm going to play devil's advocate and come at you. Let's here. do it. Why would you do this again, dude? You, why would you risk fatty liver? Why would you do all that stuff? You already did it once. You proved the point. We know you're going to be able to lose the weight again, because we know you know how to train and you'll be able to get out of it. So why get fat and unhealthy again? Mm-hmm. So here's the thing that I've learned over the past few years, L, and that's we are more than our bodies. People are so attached to our self-image as our body image. And so we think that our bodies are our identity. And that's what I used to think as well. I used to think that my identity was my body. And therefore, for me, my identity was Drew the fit guy until I got overweight for the first time. And so for me, it really helped me see that I am more than my body. And so my message is that you know people, when they come see me do what I'm doing, yes, it's crazy. It'll grab their attention for sure. But once they start consuming my content, my message of what I'm trying to get across is letting people know that you are more than your body. You have more to offer this world than just your body fat percentage, than your your, lip, your lipid levels, um, all these markers that are really important for health. I want to show people that, yes, all of that is important, but unless you take care of what's on the inside first and foremost, unless you tackle those emotional hurdles, that emotional trauma that you haven't let go of, we're going about your physical transformation the wrong way because what we're looking at is people's perception of, of health, of success and health and fitness is to be skinny, is to be fit, is to have their lipids perfect. And all that is great. But unless you understand how to overcome those emotional challenges and traumas from the past, it's just going to be another diet. And I promise you that it's not what it's cracked out to be when you think, okay, once I have this perfect body, 
all my problems will go away. Then I'll be happy with myself. Then I'll love myself. And so my, my goal. What a, what a false, you know, I'm so going to read that because that's uh-huh. such a false goal that is just going down the wrong path for a lot of people is to think that that's the case. And look, I mean, listen, I live in Hollywood. There's a bunch of beautiful (laughs) people here and, you know, a lot of them are effed up on drugs, right? You know what I mean? Like success, money, perfect body doesn't buy you that inner self-worth and self-esteem that again, like you said, is only really arrived at by going through some of your traumas and dealing with some of your limitations and all these other things you're mentioning. Yeah. And so that's, that's the thing is I want to, get people that are stuck in that situation where they feel like, you know, once I'm skinny, then I'll love myself. Once I'm skinny, then society will love me because they bite into that myth. They bite into that lie at some point. So I want to help them understand that the goal is to fall in love with the process. Once you learn how to operate out of a place of self-love versus self-hate, then you're willing to treat your body and your mind right by feeding it good, healthy food, by moving it, you know, exercise, Uh, those kinds of things. And then from there, what will happen for most people is then they'll fall in love with the process and the results take care of themselves over time instead of focusing on, okay, I'm going to do this process that I hate to get this result that I think will save me. And then from there, if we could just shift that perception of, hey, let's let's start falling in love with this process. And it doesn't have to be a certain way. It doesn't have to be, you know, going to the gym, working out for 60 minutes and then doing cardio for 60 minutes and then starving yourself at home. It can be it can be enjoyable if we learn how to do it the right way and shift your perception of what success looks like in that industry. And so that's kind of what my goal is this time around is to get people to focus on that and, and realize that it's all about falling in love with that process and le- letting the results take care of themselves over time. All right. I'm going to come at you again with another objection. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> all right. So someone's out there and they're like, all right, you already did the journey, but Drew, you are talking a lot of great mental stuff here and mindset stuff, which you've already been able to overcome. So when you get fat, you're not fat. You're not going to be fat with all the stuff mm-hmm. like me over here with all of my shit, right? That I'm mean, just thinking about someone who might be like, oh, you can do the experiment, but you're not really doing it because it's not like you're going and erasing all of the work you've done on your past stuff. Do you see yeah. what I'm getting at there? Yeah. Save to those people. Yeah, that's a great question. And to be honest with you, the goal of, of this, of what I'm doing, isn't really to tap into other people's traumas and other people's challenges and say, hey, I know what you've been through, you know, and I understand how hard it is for me. I can't, I can't pretend to know exactly what every single person's individual struggle is. But what I can do is give you the tools and tricks that have helped me overcome those emotional issues and, you know, thousands of clients of mine. So implementing things like meditation, positive affirmations, gratitude lists on a daily basis, uh, journaling, um, these uh, breath work, these types of things that we don't really look at as you know helping people with their fitness journey. I think this is the disconnect between what we see in the fitness industry of people like, all right, here's your diet, here's your exercise, here's your supplements, and you do these things, and then you'll get skinny, right? And that's, so we think it's just a physical approach to a physical transformation. My goal is to get people to understand that this is so much more of a mental and emotional journey for them. Yes, the physical stuff needs to be there, you know, eating a healthy diet, exercising, supplementation, all that stuff is really important. But my hope is to give them tools, no matter what their past emotional traumas and challenges are, to help them overcome those so that the physical stuff eventually becomes easier. So my goal isn't to step into the shoes of every single person out there and say, I get where you're coming from. We all have these same things. And there's different tools and techniques to help us uh, overcome those things so that the physical journey becomes more enjoyable. And the, the, the goal is to do it as a community. Because if you try and do it by yourself, I promise you it's going to be lonely. It's going to be 10 times harder. 
versus saying, hey, I'm willing to do this. Let's do this together. Here's, you know, let's do this as a community. Let's do this as a team. And here's all the tools that uh, on the mental and emotional side, as well as the tools on the physical side to, uh, to go on this journey together starting 2021. You know, uh, let me ask you overall, when you do the last experiment, so it took you six months to gain 75 pounds, did you say? Yes. Okay. Then how long did it, because obviously, you, you know, you're a pro, so you knew how to like get at this when you had yeah. to do it. How long did it take you to get back to where you felt comfortable in your body again? Six months. So okay. six months of gaining, six months of losing. This time it will be four months of gaining, four months of losing. The reason we switched up the format was because that's what we did on the TV show when I had my TV show. Uh, four months was, was enough time to, it, for it to be noticeable and then four months of losing the weight. And that's kind of how we've designed it this time around. So, um, okay. So the last time, are you doing anything different this time as far as foods that you're eating, et cetera, things like that, you know, is it going to be different? Or are you kind of following the same protocol there? Cause I tell you what, one of the things that <laughs> I'm like, maybe this will be your next experiment. I got this, <laughs> but one of my thoughts was like, I'd like to see someone get fat on a healthy food list. Do you know what I mean? Like by overeating or overeating the wrong amounts of things, because you can still get insulin resistant if you're doing fruit all damn day or you're, do you know what I mean? I mean, there, there's ways to do that or, or like fruit and whipped cream or so like healthy stuff, quote unquote. Uh, do you know what I mean? I'd love yep. to see someone like get fat on paleo granola and a bunch of other stuff that's considered healthy because I think that that's where a lot of people are frustrated, right? So I'm wondering, are you doing anything different? Are you going to do a healthier version or are you just going straight up standard American diet? L, you are reading my mind. I don't know how you knew this, but I have a whole section of this journey planned to tackle these these fad diets, these very popular diets, and and we are calling it uh, when good diets go go bad. Mm -hmm. And what I'm going to be doing is working with other experts in the field of uh, very popular diets, so keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten free, and on the weight gain journey, I will be tackling each one of those diets and teaming up with uh, an influencer or celebrity, celebrity chef. Uh, in these different categories to talk about the pitfalls of where people go wrong and what they do wrong with these types of diets and show people like, Hey, I'm eating keto, but I'm eating, but I'm gaining five pounds this week. I'm eating vegan. Yes. It should be healthy. And I'm all, I'm going to do my blood work. I'm going to be doing blood markers. I'm going to have a CGM throughout the entire journey, right. testing oh. ketone levels, all kinds of things. Oh, nice. I'll also talk to you about which brand you're using, but um, this, the whole journey is going to be so much more educational this time around. It's going to be, way more entertaining as well because I hired a film crew instead of just me and my ex-wife and I was trying to document <laughs> everything. So I have a film crew this time around and I'm, I'm really, really excited about it. I can't wait for you to get fat. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do some mild fat shaming for fun just because <laughs> it's totally acceptable in this situation. It. Yeah, for it's you, totally acceptable. This is going to be really interesting. So, okay. I'm really glad you're going through all that because I've gotten fat on keto and paleo because I was mm. eating the wrong things. You know, when I first started paleo and I went to Mark and I was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, <laughs> and, he, yeah. and he was like, well, what are you, what are you grabbing? Like, if you want to eat, what are you grabbing? And I was like, nuts. And he was like, rule number one. <laughs> you know, he's like mistake number one. Right. And yeah. I just wasn't thinking about the fact that, listen, you're not going to burn it off. If you're, if you can't burn what's you're taking in your mouth, you're not going to be able to get it from the body. And so a yeah. lot of people think that a high fat paradigm is all the fat you want, or, or they're measuring it in terms of the visual on the rest of your plate. You're like, you can't be measuring fat that way because a teaspoon could, right? It's <laughs> yeah. very interesting. And I'm, I'm glad you're going to be covering all those modalities. Do, do you think though, that if you're only doing a month per each, I mean, how can you gauge it versus doing four months vegan or four months paleo or four months wrong keto? Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. how, 
how would those results as a, 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 a devil's advocate, I'd look at it and like, oh, well, how can you say that did that? Yep. Yeah, that's the hard part is I can't, I can't do this for like two or three years of gaining weight with, you know what I'm saying? Like in an ideal world, <laughs> there'll be certain, uh, I'm working with a doctor here in Utah that's going to help me with certain blood markers that might be able to show, you know, okay. week to week changes of, of, of certain diets. But I mean, obviously, yes, you would have to do it for probably three or four months, do blood work before blood work after and all these things. Like it would be awesome if we could have, uh, you know, more time to do this, but you know, I, there, like I said, there are limits to what I'm willing to do to my body. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I can't get too crazy, but like I said, this will be very educational and it's going to be way more entertaining this time around. And this is the thing, like you said, I already did it back in 2011. Social media isn't, you know, wasn't what it is today. Let's be honest. And a lot of people still don't even know about my first journey of fit, fit, fit. And people that didn't, uh, that, that know about it now, probably didn't even watch it back then as it was happening. So this will be the first time that people will be able to watch it live with a lot of, you know, Facebook live, Instagram live, YouTube live, all these ways to access this content. It'll be way more impactful in my opinion. And like I said, once I feel like once people understand my message of why I'm willing to do this and start consuming the content and start taking away these pieces of like, okay, my perception of health and fitness has been this way my entire life. What if I shift my perception of it, of what, of what it could look like? you know, and realize that it's not just about my body getting skinny. And then from there, they have a healthier relationship with themselves and they have a healthy relationship with what health it looks like. And healthy on your body might look different than healthy on my body or your body L or, you know, what you see on Instagram. And that's okay. And that's, that's my hope is through this whole journey is to get people to shift their perception. And that's, that's my goal. And like I said, with the, the, the social media and the way we can access content nowadays, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty exciting. It's going to be risky for sure. And um, yes, I, I would love <laughs> maybe some tips from you and your followers of like, okay, what are some good foods that I should be eating? Like, you know, what, what, uh, on my weight gaining journey. <laughs> well, what I'm wondering is, is um, in the last experiment, if you recall, so, you know, you got fat. So when you're at your fattest and you're just like, uh, did those foods, were they, did they taste good to you? Cause you know how, like when you get healthy, those things don't taste good, but then you can kind of get used to that thing. And then that becomes the new normal. Is that what happened to you? Or, or were you like, uh, yeah. like reluctantly eating the pastas or, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it, 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 uh, it tasted really good. And here's the thing that I, I tell people about it is like, you got to understand my, I let go of exercise, which is my outlet, which was my therapy. And so I had to find something else that kind of satisfied that or replace that. And that became food. And food was one of those, which is dangerous and is a vicious cycle, but people fall into this where they don't have an outlet like exercise or some type of physical activity. Food becomes their therapy in a sense where it makes them feel good for a short period of time. Like they have a whole bowl of cinnamon toast crunch, you know, a, a Mountain Dew or a Coke or whatever it is. And they feel good for a little bit. But then after that spike, guess what comes a crash. And when you're down there and it, and you crash, your blood sugar crashes, you feel miserable. You feel like, you know, it's, it's a really horrible feeling. And so for, for, for me experiencing that and, and then reaching for something like another Mountain Dew or another Twinkie, it satisfies that craving for just a short period of time where you're like, oh man, finally I feel good again. And then it just creates this vicious cycle. And so for me, there were certain foods that I got sick of, but I mean, to be honest with you, cinnamon toast, toast crunch tastes good no matter what time of day it is, no matter how many times you've had it during the day. <laughs> like I'll, this food is so hyper palatable. Like it's amazing how good they make this food taste. So I will be the first to admit that, yes, it tasted great. Um, and that's what made the journey back to fit so much harder in the beginning was I was so addicted to that food. I started eating real food 
and it tasted like crap. It did not taste as good. My, my taste buds had changed and adapted. And that's why so many people struggle to eat healthy is because we've been so conditioned to eat these hyperpalatable foods for so long. And now we're trying to get people broccoli and spinach and all these like healthy vegetables and, and all these foods that we should be eating. But we're like, ah, oh, it just doesn't taste. It doesn't make me feel as good. Right. And so that's but, the but biggest Then struggle. you get to a point where blueberries are sweet enough and blueberries and whipped cream is like, yes. oh my gosh, that's so, that's like a blowout dessert where if I actually had a piece of real apple pie or some shit today, I would be like, oh, but, yeah. you know I mean? but, but when you're eating apple pie all the time, then blueberries seem like they don't taste like Jack. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. <laughs> It's so true. So your body does adjust and your body does adapt. And so you have to be patient with it as it changes, as, as it adapts. And so that's the thing is like, I want people to, to have someone to do it with them. Say, hey, look, this is going to be hard. It's going to suck for a little bit. But guess what? You, me, millions of other people, we're going to do this together. And we're going to get through this first phase where it is going to suck for a little bit. But eventually it will get better. And you, you, you'll enjoy these foods eventually. You just got to give yourself time. And um, yes, because I always say, and this is like the whole, you know, Marxist in 21 day, you know, yep. transformation or 30 days. We always say, I always say when you're on that train, that awful glucose, sugar burning, crap eating train, the only thing that y- y- it's going to be like about a 21 day a month of a little bit of willpower in yep. order to get the blueberries to actually taste good. You do. You do. And that's the hardest part. That is the hardest part. But I always say, my God, it's three weeks to a month out of the grand scheme of your entire yes. life. Like you want freedom and freedom from food addictions and it only requires really a month of kind of willpower without even working out if you don't want to, man, that's not a lot of time to turn it around. I don't think people know that. And listen, I've been there. I remember like having cinnamon toast crunch or whatever. And then like you're cr- crying afterwards. This is what happens <laughs> when you have an eating disorder. You probably weren't crying afterwards because you knew that you would be able to lose the weight and you knew it was an experiment for you. Yeah. But when you're in it and you're fat and bloated and you're addicted, whether you're hypothyroidism and that's why you're craving this stuff or whatever it is, or maybe you just got yourself insulin resistant and you know you just don't know what to do. Yeah. These are tough moments. I mean, I have I've talked to women, I've interviewed women who are like crying, eating in the closet, just shoving peanut butter. You know, I've I've been there. It is so depressing because it does, it gives you that instant sugar rush. Then you're let down and now you're sitting there and you're mad at yourself. You're yeah. blaming yourself. It's like really an awful place to be. And I, I wish for everybody that they can turn around. I know they can. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of, so you're going to do full blood work before and after, and I'm assuming at several stages along the yeah, way. Every, uh, every month, every okay. month throughout the journey, both gaining weight and losing weight. And uh, we'll be doing some extensive tests. Everything. Yes. Yeah. There'll be a lot of cool, unique tests that the doctor is going to be doing on me, which we can talk about maybe mid journey. If you want to jump back on to talk about the blood work changes, that'd be really cool. But yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot more in depth this time around. And like I said, I didn't really know what I was doing the first time as far as like, okay, I'm just going to do the gain weight and lose it. Now I just, you know, I have so much more that I want to show and get across and educate. I have, the, I have an opportunity opportunity to educate and inspire people through this this journey. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Like I said, a little bit scared. But you know what? This time around, I, I'm not as obsessed as I used to be about who I was, about my outward appearance. I, before, my body was my identity. Now that I've done the work inside, internally, to let go of that, it'll be interesting this time around. You know, I plan on still meditating. I plan on still journaling and doing a gratitude list. Like I feel like the mental shift that I've made over the past four or five years from doing my own personal development work will help me hopefully get through this. And that's where I can get across to people this time around. Cause last time I didn't really know how to get that across to people. It's like, Oh, it's still about eating less and working out. 
you know, the physical side of it, which works for some people, but some people need that help on the mental emotion side. Like you mentioned, the women crying in the closet. And like, I feel like those people need a voice and, and need to see that there's hope because they've tried all the physical things. They've tried all the physical things, but they haven't tried looking internal and inside first to fi- figure out what they need to fix on the inside. You know, what emotional trauma have you not let go of or addressed or, and, and building that self-awareness is key to learn how to overcome that. And that's kind of what my hope is this time around giving out those tools as well as the physical tools, like the stuff that you mentioned to help people on this journey. So it's not just about, Hey, let's figure out you know which diet works best for you. Let's figure out which exercise program works best for you. Um, and, and giving them hope and help on the, the mental and emotional side as well. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you brought that up. So, cause there are so many instances where people put on weight for emotional and psychological reasons. Like let's say they had, um, they were molested. They were raped. Something, some traumatic oh, yeah. event where they yeah. they don't want to appear attractive. They want to pad themselves up to put over, you know, put up a wall. That could be with anything. And so, yeah, those things are really, really important to look into. And um, I've known people who, until they hit that piece, mm-hmm. the weight didn't come off, and they were doing all the same stuff. Yeah. So it's really <laughs> fascinating how the mind and the emotions can really affect how your body responds and what it what it's what it's saying to you. Yeah, I know. Well, thank you for bringing that up. And I think it's going to be interesting um, to hear people's stories this time around because we, we have the capability this time to, to capture people's stories as they go on this journey with me, you know, men, women from the U.S., from different countries. It's going to be, it's going to be amazing to see how this affects people all over the world. So I appreciate you being uh, the first person to have me on, Elle. I really appreciate That's you letting me talk about this. And I know, <laughs> I know it's controversial and I know it's... Um, you know, it's not something that, that everyone would be willing to do. In the name of science, Bill. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> really? You're well, so let funny. me ask you this before we go, because we do. Sure. I, I do want to have you come back for a mid-one check-in. I want to see. Sure. We're going we're to follow up with you here. But um, is there anything that, I mean, so you're going to stop working out, right? Yep. Oh, man. You know, that's yep. a bummer. I'm going <laughs> to <a> bummer. <laughs> do some workouts for me, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. So... Is there anything that you're kind of looking forward to? I mean, in a way, some people might be like, this kind of kind of be a little fun getting fat. I mean, I don't know. I mean, is there any part of you that's like, you know what? I'm kind of looking through barreling through a bunch of pizzas or like, is there any, is there any kind of fun part of it for you? That you're I was at? just at Costco with my girlfriend, Julie, and I was like, we were walking out and I was like, I can't remember the last time I had a Costco pizza. I'm like, it's going to be so weird to be able to go to Costco get all the, the junk food that they have there, which is amazing. Like you get a whole foods, like there's junk food everywhere. Right. Yeah. And I'd be like, it'd be so weird to be like, you know what? I'm just going to get a pizza tonight. I don't feel like cooking anything and just getting a pizza and the, the ice cream and the, whatever they have there. I can't remember what else they have at Costco. That's really good, but they have some good food. Um, and it's, it, it just hit me like, wow, that's going to be my life in a second. Cause I'll be honest with you. I did forget a little bit about what it's, uh, what it's like, exactly what it's like. And so part of me, this inner, child or kid is like excited about the the junk food but i know that's gonna be short-lived because this time around i'm like all right i know that's gonna feel amazing at first but after 20 minutes of eating a huge bowl of cinnamon toast crunch like oh like i remember that feeling of of how horrible it feels so i have to like retrain my brain in a sense of of putting myself through this this mentally because it's been nine almost ten years and i've probably forgotten a, a little bit of of what it's like and so Yes, I'm kind of looking forward to that part of it. Like I mentioned at Costco, just be like, you know what? I'm going to get a pizza tonight and, uh, you know, or, or maybe tomorrow I'll get some, you know, mac and cheese. You know, it's, it's, it is a, a, a sense of false freedom. I've been through it once. Right. It is a sense of false freedom, but I, I probably will enjoy it for the first little bit. But you, you'll see, 
you'll see me on social media struggling <laughs> for sure. <laughs> <laughs> really, yeah, this is going to be a really interesting experiment. I am really glad you're doing it again. And again, I think like, like you said, with the production value that you can have behind it, the reach is going to be much farther, much farther. And um, also to the diagnostics that you're doing are likely going to be more in depth. So that'll be really interesting to see that. What, um, so we'll put everything to connect with you in the show notes. What would yeah. you like to leave with our audience right now? Aside from this experiment with you're doing, listen, you're, this is your brand is keto and health and a message. I mean, you're going to go off brand for a minute here for yeah. a months, yeah. but um, for people that are out there, I mean, follow you at fit to fat to fit on Instagram and almost everywhere else, fit to fat to fit.com. Yes. Um, the complete keto, your book also fit to fat to fit. Tell us other ways. How can we work with you? How can we benefit from yeah. you? your programs or coaching, what do you got if we're out there right now listening and going, you know what, I'm, I don't need to wait to the experiment. I want to, I want to jump on this now. Yeah. Uh, one of my biggest messages that I'd love to get across, and this is, you know, similar to what you talk about is learning how to operate out of a place of self-love for your body, for who you are versus self-hate. Cause so many of us have been conditioned to uh, grow up and, and operate out of a place of self-hate. I have, you know, personally myself thinking, you know, I'm only worth something if my body looks a certain way. I am only accepted by society if my body looks a certain way. And for me, going through Fit to Fit to Fit the first time, going through my divorce, leaving my religion, hitting rock bottom, really forced me to find out who am I without my body? Who am I without my religion, without my marriage? And, and really ha- go through that self-discovery process. And so one of the biggest things I try and tell people about is learning to operate out of a place of self-love versus self-hate. And once you do you'll be so much more fulfilled with your journey uh, to lose weight, right? Versus your journey of, uh, to lose weight while you hate yourself is miserable. Versus if you learn to operate out of a place of self-love first, even though you're not perfect, even though your body isn't perfect and how you want it to look like, if you could learn to love yourself now the way you are while you continue to work on a better version of yourself, you'll be so much more fulfilled along the way instead of thinking, you know, okay, one day when I get this body, then I'll love myself. But you go, you go your whole life at war with yourself, hating yourself. And you look back and you're like, man, I've hated who I was. And I just did a post recently about how to talk to your daughters and how not to talk to them about their bodies. If you don't fix that now, it gets passed on to the next generation. Whether you like it or not, it's subconsciously, those behaviors get passed on. Because I remember, I, I've heard stories after, after I posted that of women reaching out to me saying, I remember how my mom talked about her body. She hated her body. She hated her hair. And then one day someone said, you look like your mom. And ever since that little girl from a young age heard that and she saw how her mom talked to herself, she adopted that same mindset. And that's what I'm saying is we need to learn how to break this up, break the cycle. Otherwise it gets passed on. And so that's kind of what my message is and my hope this time around to get that across to both men and women out there that struggle. Yeah, you have to have the mindset piece because otherwise it's so much resistance and it likely does not create the outcome you want. In fact, it backfires and now you're back to the beginning. So really important message. Thank you so much for joining us. But tell us, you have some programs and things like how do we, how do we, if we want a keto coach, we want, we want to do this now. We want to get fit. Like we just go to your website. Tell us what do you, what do you have? Can we work with you one-on-one or do you have trainers and coaches? Give us a little bit of a snapshot of how yeah, we can. So I don't, I don't have one-on-one right now, but uh, fit to fat to fit.com has all of my programs uh, that you can access. And these are all PDFs that you can easily download. We are launching something in a couple of weeks. I'm not sure when this episode airs, but probably by the time this airs, when my journey starts, um, I will have my uh, complete keto coaching program up and, ru- and running, which means you'll be able to work with a certified uh, complete keto coach that's been trained by me 
that has adopted my philosophy of empathy first and an understanding of the mental and emotional side. So we will have a team of coaches that you can work one-on-one with uh, that have been trained by me and certified under my complete keto program. So uh, be on the lookout for that. All that should be accessible through fitfetfit.com. And then just follow me at fitfetfit on social media to see updates throughout the journey and throughout uh, this whole process. I can't wait. I'm going to be there. Thanks again so much for sharing this with us. We're really excited about it. And I look forward to seeing yeah, the whole entire journey. Thanks, El. Pray for me. <laughs> hey, Primal Blueprint listeners. Did you know that Primal Kitchen Collagen Peptides help support hair, skin, and nails? Well, we offer a variety of collagen products to suit everyone's palate, from unflavored to mango pineapple or golden turmeric to our keto matcha or chai tea collagen latte mixes and more. Visit us at primalkitchen.com and start fueling your day with collagen peptides. Hi, folks. Mark Sisson here. If you found your way to the primal path and want to help others live primally too, then visit primalhealthcoach.com to learn how you can join our mission to help 100 million people reclaim their health and how you can turn your passion for wellness into a profitable health coaching career that you love. The world needs health coaches. The world needs you. So visit primalhealthcoach.com today to learn more.